Hey, Being at Work listeners, welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Andrea Butcher, and I want to appropriately set up this conversation today. You know, we talk on this show about pivotal moments that have a big impact on our leadership and our lives. And when I was talking with today's guest about those big moments in her life, she described each of them, leaving her with a sense of, and after this, my life was never the same. Oh, I love that. First of all, because I know that feeling from those kinds of moments. And I'm also particularly excited about today's conversation because I got to work with today's guest early in my career, 20 years ago. And it has been incredible to see her journey from HR business partner when we worked together to chief people officer of a large global organization today. But I'm not surprised by her success or the impact that she's having today because I saw her impact then and she had big impact on me. I remember being in a meeting in the UK with business leaders strategizing about our future and thinking all kinds of imposter thoughts like, why am I here and what in the world are they talking about? But today's guest not only got it, she was leading the charge on our new direction in her late 20s. So I was so inspired by her and learned so much from her. Claire Ainsco is the chief people officer at Akato Group, a global technology and automation company. But what you really need to know about Claire is how the multiple pivots have made her a stronger human, moving overseas, leaving a longtime comfortable role, taking a seven-month sabbatical to find herself, and stepping into the chief people officer role and the transition that that requires. There's so many leadership lessons in Claire's journey. So listen in as we unpack them and reminisce a bit and talk about doors opening when you push yourself out of your comfort zone and so much more. It's a good one. Check it out. I can't believe we've known each other for 20 years. That's insane. I know. How is that possible? And here we are doing our thing, reconnecting. What a privilege it is to bring your journey to life. There's so many incredible lessons in it. So why don't you start just giving us a little background? Tell us a little bit about that journey that got you to where you are today. I think you've already said, right, I've been in HR now for over 25 years, which is insane when I think about that in itself. I still feel like that 20-year-old back in the day. But yeah, actually, I started working in a startup. That was where I began. And then very quickly joined the organization where we met. So an organization, electronics distributor called Premier Farnell. And I was there for 14 years, which... I think for any younger listeners, is a very long time to stay with one organization. But I did a huge amount of roles in that. It isn't the most sexy organization when you look back, right? It distributes electronic components, but people just fell in love with that organization. And they gave me incredible opportunities, including moving me around the world. And then when I left there, I did the sabbatical you talked about and then joined Expedia, the online travel organization which was just incredible, basically to work for a US organization after being in the US working for a UK organization. So I did the exact opposite, was there for a very long time. And then, as you said, most recently, I'm chief people officer at Ocado, which has been, again, 
brilliant, incredible, different, challenging for a whole load of different reasons. So I'm really lucky for the organizations that I've worked with, the people that I've met along the way. So a lot of pivots along the way. And when I asked you about a specific moment, I mean, there were multiple things that came up. And I so loved what you said that all of those moments as you're reflecting on them brought this feeling of, yeah, and after that, my life was never the same. So first of all, I love that sentiment. I can so relate to that because it shifts you. It's something is different as a result of the experience. And the first big one was moving to Chicago. I mean, that so got you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. If anyone is listening who is thinking about an international assignment, I was the person who did not want to go. So quite often when you're being asked to go and do an international assignment, a lot of it is there is a big problem to solve. And we had a, an underperforming US business and it needed a change in strategy where it had a branch network. And at the time, it's that long ago now that the predominant focus was getting it into a call center, but also the start of what became our digital transformation. And they asked me to go to Chicago, but I was in a great job, right? I was the HR director for Europe. And that was a really nice job. I was flying all over the world, France, Sicily, Spain, and it was brilliant. And suddenly they're like, do you want to do this job in the US with a business that isn't performing? And I was like, no, thanks for asking, but I just don't want to go. And I had a very persuasive boss and they were really like, look, just go and do one year. That's all you need to do. It'll be fabulous. You will help us. And they made it attractive. And in the end, I sort of reluctantly went with all of my resistance of, of risk and trying to plan out what would happen in every given moment and all of those things. And of course, doing an international assignment is nothing like that when you get there, but it literally does change your life in so many different ways. And five years later, they actually had to drag me back kicking and screaming because I didn't want to come back. I was just having a great time out. You know, Chicago, first of all, is just a brilliant place to live. Being an expat is amazing because you find this new liberation in life of just, I'm going to say yes to loads of stuff because I might not be here forever. And I now am lucky enough to live in London and it's fabulous, but I don't do as much in London, even half of what I did in Chicago, because you know that you're on a clock and it will end at some point and you meet other fabulous expats and your network is brilliant. But I would just say the doors that doing something like that opens is so incredible. And if anyone's thinking about it, I am definitely the person who's recommending it. Yeah. So taking that leap, even though you didn't want to, you're so grateful for that. What about from a leadership perspective? How was that transition into that business that was underperforming because you were coming from a higher performing business where you were really integrated? And I suspect that was a big change. Yeah, there were so many things when I look back. Partly, I was still quite young and I inherited a very senior team actually in the U.S. And that was, I'm sure, quite difficult for them. What does this person know from the UK and all of those things? And so that one of the first things I thought about is actually they bring so much strength to me. They know the legislation. They know the culture. They know all the people in this organization. So I relied on them for their strengths, but then played to my strengths, which was actually, look, I've restructured a branch network before. And I've got the UK contacts that when you're in a division trying to make changes, being able to utilize those relationships that you just talked about, like where do we need expertise? Where do we just need some air cover? Where do we need people to back off? And being able to use my strengths in that, I think were really helpful. 
we did restructure that business and I learned a lot from that as well. So from an HR perspective, one of the biggest things I will never do again, it was really panicked about the exit process. There was lots of people leaving the organization as we sort of went through this. And that's never actually a very nice thing to have to do ever, but a core part of being in HR and you just make sure that you do that with as much compassion as possible. But as we were opening the call center, it frightened me to death about the law in the US about if you get it wrong and how expensive it is. I'd gone through those plans like nobody's business and the care and the welfare and all the things that you would hope I would do. And I took my eye off the ball of the contact center that we were opening. And what we realized sort of six months in is it was just not performing, right? The stats weren't there. We weren't hiring people at the right rate. People were coming and leaving really quickly. And I sort of realized, you know, when you're in any leadership role, where you spend your time, because you can't do everything, make sure you spend it on the bit that counts. And actually, I would brilliant people who would have been able to handle parts of that and known where I need to step in. But the other bit was really where my attention was needed. So there was this immediately big lesson. And then you add on to that, the cultural implication, people don't always understand you. I did first big presentation to the organization. And, and I remember this lady saying to me, I have no idea what you said. Because I think my accent just had confused everybody. And feeling different quite a lot of the time. I've been blessed through my career not to have been really discriminated against, but feeling very different is a good experience for anybody, I think, to go through. I always look on expats and I'm like, I know what you've been through from a resilient standpoint. And you did have a lot going for you because this was a division within the organization where you had been very successful and you had really strong relationships and you had credibility of the experience having done this in the UK. So you had a lot going for you. A lot of our listeners are earlier in their career and navigating challenges every day. And you talked about being less senior than a lot of the leaders that you were now supporting and building relationships with. How did you build credibility with them? Like, what was your approach to connect with and get buy-in from those leaders? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing I was concerned about as I moved was that I looked like a spy in the camp from the UK because everybody knew restructure was coming. And it's not only somebody from the UK lands, it's your HR person that lands. I actually sought out a couple of types of people, those people who I knew were going to be there for the long term. So I knew the people that were really highly rated, that had skills that were transferable and had the right mindset. And I knew that those people would be our change agents. And so I aligned with the people that were going to be around and we knew we're going to make a difference. And then I built trust with the people who made a difference. Find those people, who, you know, they just influence from within. It's not always the most senior, but have coffee with the right people, connect. I think it's such a dangerous thing that often you can end up just finding the most senior people and thinking that that's enough. But change happens at every level in the organization. So finding the right people and then just showing you're on their side or a number of things that the UK wants to do in the change. And it just made no sense for what you quickly learn this business cares about. I think the first thing that had happened, they wanted to do it on Thanksgiving. And it happened to suit when we were doing results in the UK and there was a whole load of other things. But actually, I went to bat for that really quickly because the minute you're in the US and you learn how precious the Thanksgiving holiday is and the fact that people are on holidays and you're not going to capture all those people. 
And so we were able to just do small things that just showed that I was on their side to make it okay, even though I was there to do something that ultimately wasn't that pleasant all around. And there were, you know, senior changes too. Simple strategies, you thoughtful and strategic also about who are the right people and what are some small win opportunities I can get to build credibility. The other thing, just thinking about working with you that I saw like early in our career is you never showed up with an agenda. You always showed up to a meeting with so much curiosity and you had these great experiences. You're a very strong communicator, so you're good at communicating experiences, but you didn't ever lead with that. You always led with questions and seeking to understand what was going on. And then it's like, okay, what from my experience is going to be helpful here? You may not even know that about yourself, but I suspect that that also just very quickly built connection and trust. Thank you for that feedback. That's, uh, it is good. I am very curious, partly because I do want to seek to understand and know and all of those things. And then I can go down a rabbit hole. Like the minute somebody says something, I'm like, that's more interesting than where we started. Where are we going next? But uh, thank you for that. Yeah, that's good. So you said they brought you back to the UK kicking and screaming. You didn't want to go, but you did. I guess one of the downsides of moving internationally is that you're often stuck within visa processes and it's hard to move. And I was doing the biggest state job well in that region. So in order to progress, I just sort of seen a job back in the UK. And it took me another year, actually, even after agreeing to do that, to make the move because we had a change in precedent. I mean, there was always going to be an excuse. At some point, if they didn't say come back, I was partly making the excuses and frantically have the best social time of my whole life by just fitting in all the things that I wanted to do before leaving the US. Would you have stayed in Chicago if you could have? Was that ever an option for you? It was always a possibility. Do you know what's interesting about being an expat is it's really transient because what you meet are other expats. Some of the best friends I have now, I met during that time and they have the same zest for life. Of course, they live all over the world. But the downside is you get quite tired on starting again because you make these friendships, you get really attached to people and it's brilliant. And then those people are like, ah, I'm moving somewhere. So I met a fabulous friend who very quickly moved to India and I was so sad when she left and you sort of reach the point of, oh, you just want to grow some roots and do something. But in the end, I ended up following a job, right? I was actually in the process of the green card process and would have had the option to stay if I'd wanted to. But this is where the next bit of the story comes really on the pivot, isn't it? On, I was definitely in a mindset of this has been a great organization for me. They've taken care of me. I've loved it. By this point, I'd been there 13 and a half years and that was brilliant, right? And I had the option to almost change from profession. I'd always been a business partner. And I had the opportunity to go and do a more specialist role with the organization. And this felt like a really good deal all around. Obviously, my parents were happy I was going to be a bit closer to home. And that felt quite good too. So there were lots of things drawing me back to the UK. And yeah, eventually I did come back. So then what was that like when you came back? So firstly, the return from being an expat is not a pleasant experience. So not only do you have all the downside of finding somewhere to live at the same time of trying to make impression in a new job, when you're going out, all of that's pretty exciting. You just make it happen. On the way back, it feels a bit more drudgy. But the worst thing was when I got back, I did not have a very special accent that people loved. When I moved to the US, people did me all kinds of favors. <laughs> it's like, 
look at you with your nice British accent. And people just went out to their weights came that. I remember this moment of almost having a mental breakdown in our post office trying to send a letter. She's like, why are you trying to do it like that? And I was like, because this is how you send it. There was no forgiveness for the special situation I was in. So moving back was interesting. Again, trying to start a new job. And you obviously know how this story goes, but the job did not work out. And this was a huge shock for me, right? I've been with one organization for 14 years. That organization had nurtured me and loved me and made sure I was okay and looked after my career at every single step. But when I got back, I'd had a change in boss in that time and it just didn't work out for us, right? And I was beside myself upset. This had been not only a job for me, but a big part of my life. And I'm still really good friends with so many people that I'd met during that time. It actually genuinely came as a shock that this could happen to me. And of course, then I'd moved my life. I bought a flat in London and I'm suddenly like, well, I no longer have a job. It was a huge shock to me and actually took me quite a long time to get over what had happened. You know, it was a good few months of thinking about it and trying to understand that when you've given everything and you work as hard as you do, how can those things happen? You suddenly find yourself no longer with a job. I guess all the people go through those individual change moments and those grieving processes all at once. It was tough, but you know how the story ends and it was all okay. And after that, you were never the same. And it was never the same, partly because I think the way that you go into it, you can never replicate 14 years in that way. And there are certain things that I just learned to let go a lot quicker. And I worked with a coach at the time who really spent a lot of time helping me figure out how to find belief in myself. I spent a lovely seven months and I went traveling and I met people that I had not seen in years for coffee. And I said yes to every job interview. I just had this privilege of meeting companies. And I can definitely tell you, when you get behind the screens of organizations, there are some companies you think are going to be really boring that are amazing. And they've got amazing leaders that are doing cool stuff. And there's other stuff you think is going to be cool. And then for a whole variety of reasons, agenda isn't that interesting, or the leaders just weren't the kind of people you want to work with. And so it's a privilege to be able to do all of that. And I put myself out of my comfort zone. I went to Vietnam and I went traveling with a friend of mine. I, I am somebody that is overprepared for almost everything. Things. And we just arrived, we had a hotel booked for two nights and then we just went. And so the ability to go and learn and travel and do was fantastic. Well, and you found love during that time. I know, I know. You see, you've just got the space to do all the things that you don't have space and time to do. And yeah, and I think just being open-minded to those things. And not everyone is going to have an opportunity to take seven months, but taking a pause, recognizing that my identity has been tied up in something, I'm going to take some time and really reclaim who I am, what's important to me, what I want. I'm so grateful that you had that time. And it's such an important lesson. You didn't just jump into the next thing. You had a coach. You found yourself through that. Well, and so then tell us about the journey to chief people officer. And how did that happen? How quickly after the sabbatical? I know you had some time with Expedia. Yeah, so I spent five years with Expedia. And suddenly joining this amazing tech sector, I realized that not only the amazing experience of working in the US opened, it opened so many job doors for me. What they loved was all the change experience. So the fact that I'd 
understood living and working in the US. So they are obviously US headquartered. And then the change management experience all came together. And I love how fast paced something like Expedia is. I always describe my job as it didn't go linear in any way. My job just constructed and deconstructed the whole time. So just as little bits came off and you gave it to somebody else and then you would add something on and it just gave you this breadth of experience. And a couple of things happened. The first is the job that I came back to the UK to do with my last organization, which was a head of talent job, and it just hadn't worked there. And I didn't get it right and I couldn't figure it out. I eventually did this job for Expedia and loved it and found my space and proved that I can do it. I just needed the right space and time to get it right. And sometimes actually it's easier to see what you're solving for when you're not in the weeds, which sometimes you are once you've been with an organization a very long time. At the end of my time with Expedia, I did an interim stint as their CPO after my boss left, which ended up being a bit longer than I'd expected and a bit more travel than I'd expected because I was going back and forth to Seattle. But really what that experience did was then open the door that once that assignment finished, I was like, I actually know now that I want to go and do this job properly and do it for a UK-based organization. And Expedia was so brilliant. They were so brilliant about how they looked after me and made sure that it was okay. And I just had so many experiences coming out of that organization. And when it came to looking at what's going to be next for me, actually, Ocado came along and it was just this moment where I thought, gosh, I started in a startup and Ocado, although it's 23 years old, is just like a startup and it just reinvented itself. It then brought together my US experience. It's got a big US component, a big international expansion moment. It's got the tech of Speedia, the platform, albeit in a much more advanced way with robotics and AI and all this very cool stuff. And then it's also got a big logistics division, very much like we saw in Premier Farnell. And it has a huge change agenda and it's agile. And it's, gosh, there's all these components of things that you've sort of gathered in your toolkit along the way. And like everything else, it's never exactly like you expect. And it's got its own version of brilliance and craziness all together. And so I learn a lot every day and it's been a fantastic experience to get to do something that's like this. I work with a founder who's been around for 23 years and it's just incredible that this whole company came out of his head and how inspiring and brilliant it is to work for somebody but isn't like any other leader that you might have ever met in that way. So I continue to learn and grow every day and very blessed for that. How has the transition to chief people officer, how has that been? Some of it is petrifying because you realize that you are now the person that makes the decision. And so what I've realized is the power of an amazing team is the best thing you can do ever to help yourself because there's so much complexity in the breadth of the role and how it all glues together. And I part inherited, part built a fantastic team. And that's very helpful. I love the fact that I get to work with the team and the extent of the team and that global nature of the team and all the things that I can relate to, having been in and done most of those jobs along the way. I think in the people arena, you get to make an impact on society as well as just the company that you're in. And that greater sense of purpose and what you're here to do. And the fact that this happened during COVID, 
the world is changing in the DE&I space, it's changing in the well-being space, it's changing now with ESG. There is no manual of pick it up and go, oh, this is what you do through these things. So it's been challenging at times. The job can be very lonely. It doesn't have the same as other people in that sense. But I get a lot of support from my leaders, get a lot of support from my own team. And then what I've done is just built a fabulous network of other chief people officers all over the place that I have a little group of them that are like my posse that I'm like, if I've got questions and I'm sure all professions are very supportive. I just think the HR one really leans itself toward people wanting to lean in and they're happy to chat and all the people you've met along the way. Suddenly, like, I'm lucky to have collected those. Some of them that I met, you know, when I was in Chicago as well. I'm lucky to have collected such a brilliant set of people that honestly, I'm in awe of what they do in their jobs and some of the stuff that they do. And I'm like, okay, they gave me some good sanity when I need them. Yes, having that tribe. A safe place to say whatever is so, so cathartic, so important. So as you reflect back now on your journey from HR business partner to chief people officer and all the roles you've played, all the changes you've helped to lead through, all of the hard conversations you've leaned into, what do you think it is that has most supported your success in the people function? I think it's probably being part of the business. And what I mean by that is understanding what the business needs to do commercially, how it makes money. You know, the first question I'll often ask anybody I'm interviewing HR is, how does your business make money? Because I want to know that people deeply understand how that happens. And I got a really good life lesson in that very early. The first business unit I was at with Premier Farnell. And for a whole load of reasons, they gave me a ton of stuff to do that really required me to know the business inside out. And then I realized people really liked it that I knew the business. And then it meant that I could do my job better and all those things. And so it was a very early drilling in that space. But I think that's probably the biggest thing that's taken me through wherever I've gone and, you know, where you can go and be curious about a business and learn And then people enjoy showing off their business and explaining what they do. And I haven't yet worked for a business that I haven't fallen in love with for that reason. Because I'm like, oh, this is so cool. This is great. Yeah, you are a business leader that has talent and people perspective that you're bringing to help drive change in the business, help the business do whatever it's wanting to do. What about the evolution? What do you think is the greatest evolution of HR since you've been in the space for so long? For me... Personally, it's probably the moment of the transition from being ER transactional to talent. And some people don't make that transition because actually they enjoy the hits of the day to day. I solved this problem today. It's a hard thing, especially when you get into the CPO space, because there aren't many days where it's immediately gratifying in the day itself. What you are doing is building the plans that you know, and you hope you place all your bets in the right places that make businesses stronger for tomorrow. And if you don't do those things, you can get the good hit from today and you feel satisfied with what you've done, but you don't get to a point where you've built a stronger business for tomorrow, whether that be leadership capability or new markets or how you impact into a strategy around DNI or well-being. What you really want to do is that evolution that you leave a business that is stronger than the one that you came into and that you know it's going to propel for a long time to come. And I do think actually as a profession, 
as a whole, we're being recognized more for that value than just, you know, what an old boss of mine used to call tea and sympathy, but whether it be employee relations or tea and sympathy, the evolution to having the space to be around the table and be involved in those business conversations. Sometimes it's not directly to do with people, but you're shaping part of that. And it will evolve again because it's a fascinating profession. And that's why I am so grateful to have worked with you so early in my career because I saw you doing that in our late 20s. I mean, there you were leaning in and engaging and leading the conversation. So thank you for modeling that so early for me. You have really had a big impact because of those days. Thanks for remembering that story. That's amazing. Yeah. It was John Hurst brought like a hundred leaders across the business together in Leeds. Were we in Leeds? Yeah. 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 For a strategy innovation session, the different parts of the business broke out. And so we were in small groups talking about the direction where we were going. And I had no idea what I was doing. And you very much did. Well, I brought different strengths. I was encouraging and uplifting everyone. Yeah. And still do that amazingly today. Know thyself. <laughs> well, what a gift you are. I'm so grateful for you. You know, it's interesting when you were talking about that time in Chicago. I remember being so close to Chicago. I remember meeting up with you for dinner during your time there and you were glowing. And so it, it was just fun to hear you talk about that experience and to see you in action there. Thank you. I look back and I'm like, why didn't I want to go? This is one of the best experiences I've ever had. Partly I want to tell my story. So if anybody's thinking about it, they might grasp it and go. Isn't that part of the reflection is that it's taking those leaps. It doesn't always work out. You know, I can think of situations I leapt into where it wasn't so good, maybe not the right decision, but no regrets around any of it because there's growth there and there's learning about yourself through all of it. Well, Thank you for sharing your journey. So many good takeaways. That being one, the having the courage to step out of your comfort zone and try something new. Put yourself in a situation where you are different. There's so much learning that comes from that. Taking the time to pause and reflect on what do I want? Your seven-month sabbatical. I mean, what an important part of your journey that has been for you. And then transitioning into a senior role and leveraging your team in new ways being a part of the business that you're leading. Thank you for sharing all of it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on, Andrea. It's so nice to see you. Absolutely. If our listeners want to connect with you, Claire, what's the best place to find you? Oh, always LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect with anyone. So thank you. Awesome. Appreciate you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.